Man, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, if you'll open them up with us to the book of Mark. We are starting our verse-by-verse series through the book of Mark. And as you're finding that, I have a card I'd like to read this morning to our 10-mile church family, deacons, and Sunday school class. Kim and I deeply appreciate all of the prayers, concerns, meals, and comfort provided by our 10-mile family. From the use of the church for the visitation, funeral, and family meal, to the assistance from Jamie and Lucas to the meal committee, the office staff, your helpfulness in every request was noticed by our entire family. It made us feel very blessed to be members of this church. Thank you for everything. And that is from the family of Charlene Vaughn. And so please continue to pray for Barry and his family and their time of loss. The Gospel of Mark. After all of this time in the Old Testament, we're starting the Gospel of Mark. And you say, uh, well, what is significant about the Gospel of Mark? It is personally my favorite Gospel. Uh, it's kind of like if you were to read a great big novel, you know, like 1,200 pages, and it's got every detail for every blade of grass and every neighbor's hair and every quirky habit, and that is what you get with the other Gospels all put together. And Mark's kind of like, I'm going to pick out all the exciting stuff and the action stuff, and I'm going to put that there. Uh, the book of Mark was written to Gentiles, Roman Gentiles. They didn't care about, uh, was this man the seed of David or the offspring of Abraham like Matthew's Gospel? They weren't really worried about all the beautiful pictures of who Christ is like the book of John tells us. They weren't even realized for the miracles and the healing that Dr. Luke brought us in his gospel. But Mark uh, went around to Peter and the people who saw what was happening, got their eyewitness accounts, and put them in this wonderful book. And so today we're just going to do two things. We're going to look at who Mark is and what is the purpose. What is the purpose? And the reason that I like the gospel of Mark is that Mark was a man who God gave a second chance. Mark wrote this gospel after his failures, not before. And what it reminds me is when I read the book of Mark, that even though you can be around the right people, you can come from the right family, you can have all of the right opportunities, but yet you can still stumble. But yet your stumbling and your failures do not have to define who you are. That we serve a God who is willing to forgive, a God who is willing to give second chances. And I don't know about you, but I've needed a few second chances in my life. And it's fitting today that in the first service, I I know it's not a big deal for you to go to church with people who you went to high school with because you were all as white as the driven snow. But some of us, as in myself, I wouldn't go to church with me if I went to high school with me. But yet, to see how the grace and mercy of God works, in the first service, I got to baptize Emory York. And her mom and dad and I went to high school together. And then in the second service, I got to baptize Lucy Jones. And I got to go to high school with Lucas. Katie's too young, I think, to go to high school with me. But, uh, but it's just a reminder that who we were is not who we are. And just how God can forgive wretched people like us. And so if you would find Mark chapter 10, 
When we read Mark chapter 10, I want to show you this today because so many times people will come to me and say, Pastor, I I try to read my Bible. I want to know who God is, but I just feel like He's hiding from me or it's so complicated that I cannot understand. Friends, the Bible is not written to keep God from you. It is there for you to know Him, to love Him, to understand Him, and to really embrace who He is. In, Luke, in Matthew, Mark chapter 10, excuse me, starting in verse 13, Jesus is talking. It's the only time, I believe, if not the one of two times, that the Bible says Jesus is displeased. He is displeased about something. And so if you would stand with me, I want us to read verses 13 through 16 together about how God wants you to know Him and wants you to come to Him as a little child. It starts in verse 13 and says, Then they brought little children to Him, that He might touch them or bless them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, He was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to Me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. God wants humble, childlike faith from us. So if you would pray with me this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the wonderful privilege to watch the baptism waters stirred twice this morning. And Lord, what it represents that you have done in these two young ladies' hearts. Father, we thank you for being at work in this church. Lord, we know we don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. And Father, once again, I ask that you would work through the preaching of your word. Father, you know my weaknesses, my failures, my insecurities. And Lord, I pray that you would work in spite of them for your glory. And Lord, I just ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so if you have your Bible with you and you would flip over to the book of Acts with me, I want us to look at who is this gentleman called Mark. Who is the gentleman that this gospel is attributed to? In Acts chapter 12, we see him first appear. In Acts chapter 12, we see that there is a great prayer meeting going on. A great time of persecution has fallen on the church. Peter is in prison and the church is praying. And in Acts chapter 12, in verse 12, the Bible says these words. Acts 12, verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary. Peter has been delivered from prison by a miracle. He shows up and goes to a house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. I want you to see that Mark came from a family of faith. Moms and dads, it might seem like you've missed your opportunity to do great things for God. But yet I want you to see how your faith can make a difference in your grown children, in your young children. Think about this. You, are you a family that is praying? Are you a family that is in worship? When Peter is delivered by a miracle and he goes to somewhere where he knows the people are praying, he shows up at Mark's house, the house of his mother. doesn't say anything about his father. We do not know anything about it. But yet we know that his mother was a believer. It causes me to think about Timothy when Paul wrote to him and said, Your faith, your faith is a blessing, but yet your faith didn't just start in you. It was passed on to you from your 
mother and your grandmother. Do not think what you are doing by bringing your children to church, by praying with them before you go to bed, by studying the scriptures, even if it's just for a few minutes, does not have an eternal difference in their life. Because what we see here is Mark's mother and Mark's family were people of prayer. They were a family of faith. Second thing I want to show you, though, is in verse 25 of the same chapter. Mark was a man who was used by God for great things. In verse 25 it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. You think, is this the same Paul that wrote the majority of the New Testament? The same Paul who went on most missionary journeys and who is used such greatly and mighty in the kingdom? Yes. And here's Barnabas and Paul and Mark just tracking along behind them, being used by God. And you'd say, well, Jake, this is amazing. This guy must have seen so much and been a part of so much. Yes, he was. But what I really want to call your attention to is what came next. Because he came from the right family. He had the right teachers But yet in a moment of weakness, he stumbled. In Acts chapter 15, if you would flip over just a few more pages, we see that the Apostle Paul and we see that the same Barnabas are getting ready to go to work again. They're getting ready to go where God had led them to go. And starting in verse 36, the Bible says, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. Now what we know is that Barnabas and Mark were cousins. Wouldn't be the first time someone wanted to do something in church because they were related, all right? But for whatever reason, Barnabas was an encourager. He was willing to forgive. He was willing to look past whatever had happened. And he says, I want to take Mark with us. I really am determined for this. But look what Paul said. The Apostle Paul, the writer of Romans and First and Second Thessalonians and, and Ephesians and all these wonderful books. But Paul insisted. He was determined. He refused. He was set against that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. That word for departed doesn't mean like you went home and visited your mother. It's a word that means deserted, abandoned, left. So at some point when the ministry was tough, we don't know if it was in Acts chapter 13, what for sure happened, but Mark said, I can't cut it. I'm bailing. And it cut them deeply. Paul said, he ain't coming with me. You say, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. Look what it says in verse 39. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Paul said, fine, if you're taking him, I'm going this way. Barnabas said, well, fine, if you ain't taking him, I'm going this way. And I've heard lots of great sermons about how even when Baptists can't get, around, can't get along, God will use them to go different directions. And that's absolutely true. I don't know why God loves and works in any of our lives. But what we see here is this pain and hurt was deep. Mark had made a big mistake. But look what it says in verse 41. 
And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. You say, Jake, was this before the gospel or after the gospel? It was before. You say, well, how do you mess up like this and recover from that? How do I recover from my failure in a marriage? How do I come recover this relationship that I've broken? How can I repair my relationship with someone here at church? How, how can my life have meaning and value and I've made such a big mistake of things? Well, that's why this individual is so important, I think, to me. In the book of Philemon, chapter 1, which is it's all there is, but in verses 23 and 24, listen to what Paul says. Ephrus, my fellow prisoner, prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Paul says, I'm in jail, and I want to greet you. But look who else is listed in this name. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. He went from someone that Paul wouldn't travel with to, hey, I'm in prison. I, I, I've got very few friends left. The world's falling apart around me. I'm at the end of my ministry now, and look who sits with me. There he is. It reminds us that with the grace of God, second chances are possible. It's a reminder that when the blood of Jesus covers you, it doesn't just cover some of your sins, it covers all of them. What can make me white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Friends, people won't forgive you. People will bring up your past. People will remind you of your failures. But when Jesus forgives you, and Jesus is at work in your life, friends, let Him. Because that's what He means. You say, well, that, that's probably not really what happened. Well, good, I want to show you one more time. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Only Luke is with me. Paul says, I am all alone except for Luke, the writer of the gospel. That's it. And I need something. Who do you think he asks for? Get same Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. That can't be possible. You wouldn't let him go with you in chapter 15. You wouldn't work with him. You wouldn't associate with him. He wasn't, he wasn't coming with us. And here when your back's against the wall and you need somebody, who do I ask for? That guy. Friends, the Christian faith is built on the simple premise that when God forgives you, God forgives you. When God changes you, God changes you. Even when you stumble after you're saved and people want to remind you of your failures, when God forgives you, when God says it's forgotten, when God says get up and get back to work, friends, that's exactly what God means. If you stop for every barking dog, you will never find the end of your destination. W.A. Criswell used to say as a pastor, he said, I don't mind to be swallowed by a whale, but I hate to be nibbled to death by minnows. And that's what will happen as you try to serve God. People will bring up your temper. They'll bring up how you lost uh, your cool in traffic. They'll bring up that time you said something you shouldn't. They'll bring up that time that you, that you lied or whatever it is. And you have to remember something. That who God says you are and what God has declared in your life is exactly what you need to believe. You need to understand. You need to re refocus on God says I'm forgiven. God says I'm not perfect. 
God says I have value. God says He can use me. God says He can send me. God can work in my life and in my marriage and in my home if I just believe Him that Satan doesn't win. That's who Mark is. That's where we find ourselves. This first service was short, all right? And they listened a whole lot better than you did. So I just want you to know that. If you're here till noon, it's your fault. The man who God used was Mark. But what did he have Mark do? Flip over to Mark chapter 1. We've only got one verse this morning. One verse. Verse 1 it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He starts not by saying, hey, it's Mark. I want to tell you about all the things that I've heard and all the things that have been... He says, no. The only thing that matters is Jesus. I want you to notice that word, the beginning of the gospel. Friends, this morning you need to know that. We're going to look at some amazing things over the next few months, if not years. We're going to look about how Jesus healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, delivered people who were demon-possessed, how, how he worked and changed lives in dramatic fashion. But friends, none of it matters if you've not met him first. Today, if you are here and you cannot say without 100% certainty that, Jake, I have been under conviction. I know what it's like for God to show me that I'm lost. I know what it's like to realize under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I need something in my life, or someone. And that you have not heard the good news of Jesus, that He loved you so much, that He stepped out of heaven to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect and sinless life, to willingly go to the cross, take your sin, your shame, your punishment, hang upon that cross and take the judgment of sin from the Father, to die and be buried Three days later, arise. Friends, and the Bible tells us that you must believe. You must accept. But the Bible says if you will believe and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, put your faith and trust in Him, that you shall be saved. And so today you say, well, Jake, I doubt my salvation. I question it sometimes. This is what I tell everyone. When you fell under conviction and you responded to God, and you cried out to Him, if you meant it, He did it. That's what the Bible teaches us. If you drew near to Him, He will draw near to you. Satan might try to convince you that it wasn't real, that it didn't understand it, but if you cried out to Him, believing what the Bible says, friends, He has saved you. He has indwelt you. You are a new creation. But friends, if you have never came to that point in your life when you say, I had a new beginning. I had a new birth. God made me brand new. It don't matter how many times you come to church. It don't matter how much money you give. It don't matter how many sermons you preach. It don't matter how many times you sing in the choir. If you have not been born again, if you've not said, I have a beginning, a new beginning with Jesus, He changed my life. He forgave me of my sins. He made me brand new. Friends, everything else the Bible teaches you makes no difference because it's not changed you. You must be born again. The Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. 
Jesus, as we know, is just a common Jewish name at this time. It's an Old Testament form of Joshua. It means salvation of Jehovah. The Lord is my salvation. To deliver, to rescue. Mark starts by saying this was a real person. This was not a figment of our imagination. He walked with us. He talked with us. He ate with us. He went to judgment for us. He went before the Sanhedrin. He went to the cross. He was spit upon. He was beaten. He literally died. He was buried in a real tomb. He was a real man. You cannot deny that. He starts by telling these Romans, this man was real. But then he adds Christ. Hopefully you know that Jesus' last name was not Christ, okay? It is a term that means anointed one. Messiah. It's showing us that it's His divine anointing. The purpose for why He's here. To come to seek and save that which is lost. He's come as the anointed one of the Old Testament. He's come that there might be a perfect sacrifice. This man who we have to recognize as real came on a divine appointment to be the Messiah, to be the Savior. But that's not all he says. The Son of God. He says, wait a second, you might think he was just a good man. And you might think he had a specific purpose. But he was not just a man. He was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. You can't just write him off as some other teacher. You can't just write him off as some other good person. Because that's what the Romans would have done. They'd have read, man, this guy can heal. He can, he can walk on water. He can, he can do these great things. But Mark wants you to realize, no, no, no. He's not just a miracle worker. He is the miracle. He's not just a blessing giver. He is the blessing. He, he's not just the, a way of hope. He is hope. He is not a way of truth. He is the way of truth. Everything revolves around the fact that He was real, that He was tempted and tried in every way that we are. Hebrews says we have a high priest who sympathizes with us in all of our weakness. There's not a care, a burden, a tear that you can shed that God does not understand. He has a purpose and a plan to redeem and save you. But never forget, He is not just a man. He is not just a person. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this would matter because the linchpin verse of this book comes from Matthew 10, verse 45. And this is what he says. Matthew 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. And so as they're reading this, this man who is humble, he is lowly, he is caring for people, helping people, healing people, dying for people. He said, don't forget! This time he came to serve. And you say, why does that matter, Jake? This is why. Because we have been given the mission of taking this glorious good news to the entire world. That God loves people, that God forgives people, that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the Bible says. The Bible says that the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all people. That God is not willing that any should perish. And so we believe that, we teach that, we live that because... 
that next time Jesus steps foot on this earth, He's not coming to serve. He's not coming to give sight to the blind. He's not coming to coddle and to care. He's coming to destroy His enemies. He's coming to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. He is coming to work and move through the Jewish people and the church. There is going to be a difference this time when everybody knows that the King of kings and Lord of lords has come in all of His glory. And you know what I'm going to be doing? Sitting in the back saying, you go get Him. Don't even think like you're going to participate. It's all Him. He is the focus. He is the one. And friends, but until that happens, we should be people of compassion. We should look at the hurt and the broken. We should look at the rebellious and the stubborn. We should look at the wicked and the hard-hearted and pray for mercy. Pray that God would be compassionate. Pray that God would move and work no matter what they've been through. Because friends, you never know someone that might just need a mark moment. Need the forgiveness and love of God to change everything. How do you come back from letting down the Apostle Paul? I've pastored here for 11 and a half years now. And I have failed all of you at some point. Some little, some big. It happens. I'm sorry. I'll apologize again if I need to. But can you imagine the Apostle Paul not wanting you to go with him? I mean, I know some of you wouldn't want me to go with you, but the Apostle Paul, Barnabas, come on, man, put in a good word for me. Nope, not going to happen. Nothing you can say, nothing you can do that can change what he did. But yet just in a few short years, there he is. You say, well, he got saved. He was already right with the Lord before. He was already being used by God to do missionary work and see people saved. He stumbled as a believer. You see, most of us don't have any problems forgiving people when they get saved. We struggle with forgiving saved people. And friends, if you're going to be involved in a church, you're going to be dealing a whole lot with saved people who struggle. Saved people who stumble. Saved people who make mistakes. Saved people who are not perfect. And look up here, that's when you need to begin to pray. God, help me to forgive. God, help me to show mercy. God, don't let this cripple them to the point where they don't think they can come. They don't think they can serve. They don't feel like they belong. Because friends, when this church gets to a place where we would tell a mark, you're not welcome here. We have become unlike Jesus. We've become unlike the local church is supposed to be. And so today I want you to hear those words that I don't know what your mistakes have been. I don't know what your story is with the Lord. But if you're here and you've never had a beginning, today could be that beginning. It's so simple as the Spirit convicts you. So simple, not because I say it is, but because if God is dealing with you, God is preparing your heart. He did all the work by going to the cross and dying for you. And now He's extending an opportunity, an offer, to be saved, to be brand new, to be forgiven, to be brought into his family. But you've got to accept it. You've got to repent and believe what the Bible says. And friends, the Bible says when you believe and call, that he saves. It's a guarantee. It's not a might, not a maybe, 
not a maybe next week, you shall be saved. But today, if you're here like me and you've been a believer for a while and you look back in your life and thought, oh, why did you say that? Why did you do that? Why were you so petty? Why were you so stubborn? The list goes on and on. Some of you are looking like me like you've never done anything wrong. Lying's a sin. But what we see from Mark is your failure doesn't have to define you. You came here on bad circumstances, God makes it brand new. You came here and your marriage has fallen apart, God can make it brand new. You came here today and your relationship with your kids are broken, God can make it brand new. You come here today, you're worried about your grandkids, God can make it brand new. You come here thinking, boy, I wish I'd have been a different this or a better that. Or God can make it new if you'll just let him. And I hope today that you will. If you would, stand with me as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, just the goodness and mercy that you display to us. Father, I pray today that for anyone here that doesn't have a beginning with you, doesn't have a personal testimony, that today would be that day. Your Holy Spirit would begin to convict, deal, work, and they'd come. But Father, I do pray for that believer today that's struggling, that's beaten down, that's, that's just, Lord, they can't move on. That you'd give them the assurance that you can make it new. Father, for that person that's here today that can't forgive, that can't overlook, that can't, can't make things right today, Lord, I pray that you change their heart all for your glory. Father, whatever needs or burdens or situations are going on in life today, God, you know them, and I pray that during this time of prayer, we would be a people of prayer, that your house would be called a house of prayer. And I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.